This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following speech was recorded in collaboration with Providence Protestant Reformed Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. Let's begin by reading from John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our subject this evening is, Who is Jesus? Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. And your relationship to Jesus will determine your destiny. That was the claim that Jesus made. Let's begin by reading from John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our subject this evening is, who is Jesus? Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. And your relationship to Jesus will determine your destiny. That was the claim that Jesus made for himself. In John 8, 24, he says, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. In John eleven twenty five and 26, he said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, where are we going to find information about Jesus? Well, the only source of real knowledge of Jesus is God's Word, which is the Bible. And that, too, is the claim that Jesus made. In Luke 24, 44, he said, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Jesus said that all the Old Testament scriptures, and therefore also all the New Testament scriptures, speak about him. Now, if we were to ask someone on the street of Limerick, who is Jesus, we might receive various answers. Some will say, Jesus was a good teacher, a teacher of great moral lessons, such as do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Others might say, Jesus was a prophet, a man who taught the people about God, a spokesman of God. And others might say Jesus was a revolutionary, a man who tried to change society, a man who tried to overthrow the Romans. And he was crucified. And they would say he was a tragic martyr. <laughs> And most people, I dare say, in the world today would claim to admire Jesus. They say good things about him. They're impressed by him, what they know or think they know of him. But notice what all of those answers have in common. They include the word was. Jesus was. A good teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a revolutionary or Jesus was some other thing. But Jesus is not a was. Jesus is not a has been. Jesus is. Your answer to who is Jesus must be this. Jesus is alive. That's why my speech is not who was Jesus, but who is Jesus. 
And the correct answer to that question can be summarized by what Simon Peter said when they asked him, Who do men say that I am? Peter, responding, said in Matthew 16, 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, who is Jesus is a very large topic. The Bible speaks extensively about him. And I am going to summarize who Jesus is in this speech in four things. So watch out for four things. And the first thing is, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The Bible says Jesus is the Son of God. Now there's confusion about what that means. What do Christians mean when they say Jesus is the Son of God? What does the Bible mean when it says Jesus is the Son of God? It does not merely mean that Jesus is like God. The term Son of God means that Jesus has the same essence, the same being, the same nature, and the same attributes as God. Indeed, it means that Jesus has the life of God. God lives and Jesus lives. In other words, if God is almighty, Jesus is also almighty. If God is holy, Jesus is also holy. If God is eternal, Jesus is also eternal. If God is infinite, Jesus is also infinite. In other words, the truth, Jesus is the Son of God means Jesus is God. He is God. The Bible says some wonderful things about this relationship between God and Jesus. According to Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is, quote, the brightness of his God's glory and the express image of his God's person. Colossians 1.15 calls Jesus, quote, the image of the invisible God. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Another reason why we find this difficult to understand is because of our experience of what a father is and what a son is. If God is the father of Jesus, and if Jesus therefore is the son of God, does that not mean that God the Father is older than Jesus and that God the Son is younger than the Father. That, of course, is what happens in our experience. Fathers are older than their sons and sons are younger than their fathers. And if God is the Father of Jesus, does that mean, therefore, that God the Father has a wife? so that he can produce a son who is called Jesus? Or does that mean that he makes a son in the sense that he creates a son? And does that then not mean that 
God, the creator of Jesus, makes Jesus in the same way in which he made angels. And so perhaps Jesus is just a creature like an angel. But the Bible says that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. And that means that he does not have a beginning and he does not have an ending. And that means that he is not younger than the Father. It means that he is eternal. The Father, whom we call God, the Father is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 90, verse 2. The Son is also eternal. Here's what the prophet Micah said. Out of thee, Bethlehem, which was the birthplace of Jesus, out of thee, Bethlehem, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. And Jesus says this in John 8, 58 about himself. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I'm not asking you to comprehend this. I'm not asking you to be able to fathom the depths of this this evening. I'm simply asking you to listen to what the Christian religion says about Jesus Christ, and I am calling you to believe it. The Son of God, therefore, has no beginning, and he has no ending. And therefore, his sonship is different from the sonship that we know in our human experience. He doesn't have an eternal mother. There is no eternal mother in the heavens who brought forth Jesus eternally. The Father in heaven does not have an eternal wife. And so we must not think about those kind of categories when we're talking about who Jesus is and how he is the eternal Son of God. The Bible uses an expression to describe the sonship of Jesus. It's this, the only begotten Son. And to beget is the activity of a father. A father begets. And that term means he is not a creature. He is not the created son. Nor is he an adopted son. He is the begotten son. And so the father brings forth this Jesus from eternity within his own being so that this Jesus has the same being the same essence, the same substance as the Father. John 1.18 says he is in the bosom of the Father. And that tells us, as does the Father-Son idea, that tells us that the relationship between the Father and the Son is one of love. It's love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And it's one of equality. They are equal 
in power and in glory, they are of the same being. Now, the early church fought over this doctrine for some time before they could finally come to define it and set it forth in their creeds or confessions. And here's what the church declared in 381 AD. 381 AD in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, notice this, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very or true God of very or true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. In other words, the church has confessed, based upon the word of God, that Jesus is not a creature, he is the creator. And John 1, verse 3 says, about the word who is Jesus, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means that Jesus Christ is your and my creator, and therefore he is your and my God, and therefore we owe to him worship. That's the first thing. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The second thing is, Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. He's the incarnate Son of God. This means that the eternal Son of God became a man. He became a real human being. That's what the idea of the incarnation is. The word incarnation is not in the Bible, but the idea is there. The word means to make flesh. And in the Bible, the word flesh simply means the human nature. We are flesh. We're human beings. We're flesh, which means we consist of flesh and blood and bone. We also have a spiritual aspect to our human nature. We have a mind and a soul and a will. And the Bible says in John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the unique wonder of the Christian religion. The eternal Son of God, whom I have described, became a real human being. A real man with real human flesh. A real human body of flesh and blood and bone. 
he also became a real human being with a human soul, mind, and will. And so he becomes a complete human being. Everything that human beings are by nature, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became. That means he became subject to our weaknesses, our physical weaknesses. In this real human nature, therefore, the Son of God experiences or experienced tiredness and hunger and thirst and physical pain. In that human nature, he also experienced psychological weaknesses such as fear and confusion and sorrow and ignorance and pain. So, for example, the Son of God in the human nature grew physically from a small child all the way to an adult, and he grew also psychologically in that he developed in his mind. He learned things. He grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and knowledge and in stature. Here's what Scripture says about this great wonder in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Listen to this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Notice what Paul says there in that passage. He is in the form of God. He is equal with God. That means he is God. Jesus is God, as much God as the Father is God. Yet this Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself. He humbled himself to become a man. And not any man, but a servant, the Bible says. The lowliest of men. He placed himself in the lowest position. And he did that in order to die. And not to die just any death, but to die the death of the cross. The lowest, most humiliating, and most painful death of the cross. You must understand this also in connection with the Incarnation. Jesus, when he became a man, remained God. So it's not that the Son of God was God in eternity and then he stopped being God and became a man. But rather, the Son of God, while remaining God, takes upon himself a human nature, and thus he becomes both God and man. And so the Son of God did not cease to be God when he was in the womb of the Virgin Mary for nine months as he developed as an embryo 
and as a unborn child, he did not cease to be God when he was born and lay in the manger as a tiny baby. He did not cease to be God while he lived upon the earth, growing up as a child and becoming a man and living on the earth for some 33 years. He did not cease to be God when he was arrested and was crucified and hung on a cross. He did not cease to be God when he died. And when his human body and human soul were separated at the point of death, he did not cease to be God when he was buried in the tomb and was there for three days. And he did not cease to be God when he rose again from the dead on the third day. And now that he has risen and has ascended into heaven and is in heaven at the right hand of God, he is still God and he is still man. He is eternally God and man in one person forever. That's what the Christian religion teaches about Jesus from the word of God. And the wonder of that is that the Son of God was willing to become a man. And the wonder of that is that the Father was willing to give his Son to become a man. And the wonder of that is that the Holy Spirit, about whom we have not spoken, but the Holy Spirit, he formed the human nature of this man, Jesus, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, from the substance of the Virgin Mary, so that Jesus would be a real human being. And you cannot understand Christianity and you cannot read the four gospel accounts unless you understand this wonder of the Incarnation. It helps us answer questions such as these. If Jesus is God, as Christians say, how can he be thirsty or tired? And the answer is, Jesus was tired and Jesus was thirsty in his human nature. If Jesus is God, how can he suffer? And how can he die? And again, the answer is, he suffered and he died in his human nature. If you understand that about Jesus, you'll understand the truth of Christianity. That Jesus is God and man. He has these two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature, but he's one person forever. The third thing we learn about Jesus, he's first of all the eternal Son of God, second he's the incarnate Son of God, and third he is the only Savior. This is the insistence of the Scriptures. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the Savior from sin, death, and hell. And he can be the only Savior because he is the only one who qualifies to be the Savior. His name means Savior. Here's what the angel said about his name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. 
Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He came to save sinners. That's why the eternal Son of God came into this world as a human being, in order to save sinners. Because we have sin. We have broken God's commandments. We are guilty before him. We are therefore liable to punishment. The punishment of sin is death and ultimately hell. And since our nature is corrupt and we are polluted in God's sight, and since we are enslaved to sin and unwilling and unable to serve God, we require a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He shall save his people from their sins. That's why he becomes incarnate. And that's why he alone has the qualifications to be the Savior. What are the qualifications to be a Savior? Well, first of all, a Savior must be almighty in power. Not simply mighty in power, but almighty in power. You might find the most powerful man in all the world, the most powerful man physically, the most powerful man intellectually, he cannot be the Savior. You might look for the most powerful creature in all the world, the most powerful angel of heaven. He cannot be the Savior. The Savior must be God. The Savior must be divine because the Savior must have the power of God. That qualifies Jesus to be the Savior because he is the only begotten Son of God. Titus 2.13 calls him the great God and our Savior. But the second qualification to be the Savior is he must be a human being. If he comes to save human beings such as we are, he must also be a human being. And so if Jesus remained in the bosom of the Father and never became incarnate, he could not be our Savior. In fact, there could not be a Savior. Because the Savior must do something for those who must be saved, which they themselves cannot do. And what is that? The Savior must obey God in our place. We have not kept God's commandments. We owe God obedience. And this Savior comes. He submits himself to the law of God, he lives a perfect life, keeps all of God's commandments in love for God, something that we ourselves could not do. And therefore, the Savior must be a holy man, a perfectly holy man, a sinless man. And this Savior must not only be obedient to all of God's commandments, he must also suffer. He must suffer. 
Why must he suffer? Because the penalty of sin is death. And in order for God to be just, that penalty must be borne by someone. God cannot simply say about our sin, it's okay, I forgive you, by a supreme act of his will. God's justice must be satisfied. This was always taught throughout the entirety of history. God always required some kind of a sacrifice in order for him to forgive sins. And all of our sins are an offense to God. He is offended and angry against us because of our sins. And God must punish sin. And if God does not punish us, then he must punish a substitute. And if God does not punish anyone, then he would be unjust. And so the Savior must be able to bear the punishment for sin. And to bear it in such a way that he delivers himself from it and also those who are to be saved. Now, if you were to take a human being, a normal, ordinary human being, and place him under the wrath and curse and punishment of God for sin, that would destroy him. If you were to take an angel, even the archangel Michael or the archangel Gabriel, and place that angel under the wrath and curse and punishment for sin, that angel would be destroyed by that punishment. And so the one who is to be under that punishment must be able to bear it. That is to say, he must be almighty. He must have the power of God. He must be God, and he must be God in the human nature. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 2:24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And again he says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Only the eternal Son of God in the human nature could suffer and die under the wrath and curse of God so as to deliver us from that curse. And without the human nature, the eternal Son of God would not have the capacity to suffer. Jesus cannot suffer in his divine nature. He can only suffer in his human nature. That's why the incarnation was necessary. And because this is the suffering of the Son of God, it has infinite value in the sight of God. So, so that Jesus Christ can die on the cross and bear the punishment for all of God's people from the beginning of the world, from Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, all the way to the end of the world, to the last person who believes in Jesus Christ. And so Christ suffered on the cross willingly. He died in obedience to God's will. He was buried as a penalty for sin. 
But Jesus did not stay there. And that brings us to the final point, the most brief of the four points. So the first point was he is the eternal son of God. The second point is he is the incarnate son of God. The third point is he is the only savior. And the fourth point is he is the living Lord. He is the living Lord. Jesus Christ, after dying on the cross, rose bodily from the dead. He did so because he is the Son of God, and death has no power over him. Here's what Jesus says before he dies in John 10, 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Notice what he says next. No man taketh it from me. It's not that the Jews took his life from him. It's not that the Romans took his life from him. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, and that word really means authority. I have authority to lay it down, and I have power or authority to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so the crucified Son of God rises again from the dead and is the living Lord. He has life in himself. And as the living Lord, he has the power to give life to others, to give life to his people. And as the living Lord, he has the power to rule over all things. He is in heaven. He has ascended. He sits at God's right hand. And he will come again on the last day to judge the living and the dead. That's the answer to the question, who is Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God. We explained that. He is the incarnate Son of God. We explained that. He is the only Savior and he is the living Lord. And what then are you to do and what am I to do with that information this evening? Well, God commands us all, God commands everyone to believe in this Jesus. He commands you and I, he commands all of us to believe that this Jesus is not merely a prophet or a good teacher or revolutionary, but the eternal Son of God. He commands us to believe in the incarnation that this Jesus became a real man for our salvation. He demands that we believe in the only Savior and in the living Lord. And the promise goes forth as well from the Scriptures. Whosoever believeth shall be saved. And the warning goes out as well. Whoever refuses to believe will perish. Believe this. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, 
and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.